You're listening to the JT The Brick Show, where the Raider Nation has come to sound off and react for over 20 years. It's the JT The Brick Show. They get the snap off, hand off Jacobs. That's the first down of the big hole. 15, 10, 5, touchdown Raiders! Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Raiders bring a blitz. He is smothered and brought down. Max Crosby came around for the sack. Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Snap to car in the shotgun. Back to pass. Climbs the pocket. Eyes downfield. Fires a strike to Devontae at the 25. Breaks away 20. 15, 10, 5. Dives. Touchdown, Raiders. And now, here's JT the Brick. JT out of the gate as we are back, back in town, back in Vegas from a quick road trip to see my parents in Florida, Naples, Florida. And I'm back, energized, ready to go, as you always expect, here on the flagship of the Silver and Black as we're brought to you by PT's, home of the best happy hour in town. Five to seven, midnight to two, PT's fuels the monologue. They also have a lot of people that go and watch the Golden Knights. And what the hell is going on with the Golden Knights? My team. That's my team. I gave up the Islanders for them. I had four Stanley Cups. I had four in the bank as an Islander fan, and I had to drop them because they were an inaugural expansion team, and I was able to do that. That's my team now, man. People are worried about me up in the press box. I sit on the glass, man, at times. I'm in lower bowl. And then I come up there from time to time over with Tommy Ippolito at Hyde and bounce around that place. As Vince Lombardi would say with the Golden Knights, what the hell's going on out there? Can't beat a bunch of teams that they should be dominating? Wow. Man, they need me in the building more, man. I got to get in there. Giving some mojo there as the Knights are not doing what I expected them to do. What a, what a start they had this year. What they did on the road. Everything else. Cause for concern on the JT meter of cause for concern. One to ten on the Golden Knights. I'm about a seven. I'm concerned, man. I, I only drink from cups, man. I drink my Modelo. My, I drink my bucket of Modelo at the end of the week, and I drink from Stanley Cups. I don't drink from Western Conference final appearances. I only drink from Stanley Cups. Let's get this thing figured out, man. I got a lot of, a lot of events coming up over there I want to go. All right, so how's everybody doing? What do we want to do here? I'm, here's what I'm doing. DeMond's with me today. Bobby's out. We're all set to go to the Super Bowl. In Phoenix, Scottsdale, Glendale. It's a weird time. The reason why the Super Bowl is going to be so great in Vegas, they're going to have this thing called Radio Row. This will be my 25th year of Radio Row, which I'm proud of. And they take a convention center and they bring in all the radio stations if they can afford it. Back in the day, everybody went. Now, well, we don't have the budget. We do. But other stations, we don't know if we want to go. We don't like the teams or the matchups. We're going. Representing Raider Nation Radio because we have the Super Bowl here next year. And next year, they'll probably put Radio Row, and I don't know, but they'll probably put it at Mandalay Bay Convention Center or the big convention center, someplace where everybody can go. But we're in Vegas, so everybody knows where to go. They see the stadium. They see the casino. It's going to be easy. This whole thing in Glendale, Glendale's a million miles away from Scottsdale and Phoenix and all that. So we'll be in downtown Phoenix at Radio Row. We'll be doing Raiders Roundtable, the podcast. We'll be doing that, filming it, the audio, and your ability to view it. We'll do a couple of days of that. Marcus Allen, Tim Brown, Fred Bolitnikoff. Some guys will be on the phone. Other guys will be live in person. And then we're just going to talk about the Super Bowl. 
And that's all I got, everybody. Again, I'm not talking backup cornerback for the Raiders in training camp. Not on this show. Plenty of podcasts. YouTube's got a whole bunch of guys and gals who will talk about your practice squad linebackers. You will not get any of that from me. Now, you will get some Tom Brady talk. You will get Aaron Rodgers talk. You'll get Lamar Jackson talk. You'll continue. I'll continue to be your therapist on Derek Carr. And what's going to be the future of Derek Carr is that's got to kind of get giddy up in. Let's, let's get something for Derek. Derek had a great career with the Raiders, but we got to get something in return for him, hopefully. And then what's going to happen in the offseason with the Raiders? But if you've been listening to me for 20 minutes or over 20 years, I take every segment and make it very valuable this time of year. So if you don't like the Niners, if you don't like Kansas City, if you don't like Cincinnati, or if you don't like the Eagles, you can go find something else. I won't be offended. I'm talking football and the playoffs and the championship games because that is more relevant than just gossiping about something we don't know unless it's the quarterback situation, which is DeMond's looking at me. It's a beautiful topic. It really is. There's nothing better than sports, DeMond, than being in a conversation about a quarterback because that moves the needle more than anyone in the NBA other than Giannis and Durant and LeBron. It moves the needle more than anyone in baseball, anybody, even Judge and Trout. So we got a big topic in this building. I've been gone the last couple of days. What's the buzz before I start the show on the future of the Raider quarterback position? People would more in favor of Aaron Rodgers than Tom Brady. Okay. That that's a big one. I mean, TB12, he had mm-hmm. the, he's got like a new deal with the win or something you can yeah. work out okay. with Alex Guerrero. So, oh, the tea <laughs> leaves could they be there? Aaron yeah. Rodgers, so he was on a show with Serge Ibaka. You know, he plays for the Bucks. Right. Not a lot to do in Milwaukee. So uh, he was on a show with Serge Ibaka, like a cooking mm-hmm. show, and he said, answer a question. If you had to play for any NFL team besides the Packers, he danced around the question and said the Oakland Raiders because that's not a team. Yeah. But he still said the Raiders. So, so I mean, hey, it, this mm-hmm. is, it's a fun thing to talk about as well. All right, so there's some good news and some really bad news here. Are you telling me there's one human being on God's green earth? One. Not a thousand, not a million. I got to deal with one guy who doesn't want Tom Brady? Are you telling me I got to fight with Raider Nation on my Twitter feed? They're going to get in my DMs because I'm going to get people saying he led the league, had his best completion percentage ever. He threw for, again, 4,500 yards, great touchdowns, limited interceptions. I... I went away to Naples, Florida to visit mom and dad in golf. You're telling me I came back and I got to deal with these people who don't want Tom Brady? They don't want anything to do oh, with Oh, they him, don't. They, they don't want anything to do with it. They don't want his seven rings. They don't want his great decisions. They don't want his unbelievable relationship with the head coach who we have. They don't want his brand. They don't want his name on top of casinos and helicopters flying. They don't want that. I, I gotta, how long am I going to deal with this crap? I got to deal with this. I don't want Brady for how long? But the tuck rule, JT. Okay, so that's what I got to deal with. So good, <laughs> yes. I need to know this. I thought, I thought maybe that would change. Now people are, are, are hitting me up saying, JT, why do you want Tom Brady? <laughs> oh my God. What? I don't want Tom Brady. I've never wanted Tom Brady. I was cool with Derek Carr if you're new to the show. I was fine with Carr. Okay, why do I want Tom Brady? Because this team needs something instantly. Okay, we're not talking about top ramen you can make it instantly. We need a high-end Instant, instant response to the rest of this league who Josh Allen can't even get to the Super Bowl. You know how much better Josh Allen is than Derek Carr? That would be a lot. He couldn't get to the Super Bowl at home. Okay, everybody see Joe Burrow? He's pretty good, right? You see Patrick Mahomes, our nemesis, 
are absolute nemesis. And Brock Purdy has won two playoff games. Derek Carr has never won a single playoff game. I'm dealing with the Niner Empire blowing me up, saying, hey, JT, how's this Brock Purdy thing look? I go, what? They go, well, he beat you in Allegiant, and he's won two playoff games. So they got that hanging over our head. So the issue with Tom Brady is simply this, as I wrapped up last week with it. If he wants to come here, and Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels want him to come here, everybody, if you don't want to drink the Kool-Aid and you don't want him, get out. I mean, don't get out of the fandom. How dare I tell you not to be a fan or not? Just get out of my world. Get out of my world. I don't need you. I love you all. I want you all here. I'll, I'll buy you a bucket of Modelo's, but I don't need that on the show. If it turns out Tom Brady doesn't want to be here and they're not able to come to terms on a deal and we're talking Jared Stidham or a draft pick and all that, please feel encouraged. But what are the chances of Tom Brady being here? That's I mean, my dad has, my brother-in-law. I'm on the golf cart with him playing golf. What are the chances of, of Tom Brady going to Vegas? I go, I think it's better than 50%. And like, whoa, better than 50? I go, yeah, if he's going to come back, he's not going to play in Tampa. I think it's either Miami or Vegas. And I think Vegas is cool because of his relationship with Josh McDaniels. I wonder if Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady both have keys to each other's safe with all those six Super Bowl rings. And Brady's got a different safe with the Tampa Bay one. But I wonder, you know when they open up a bank vault and you need the one key and then the, bra- the branch manager has to come over with the other key and they have to put both keys to turn and open the safe. I wonder if Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady both have to use their keys to open up and look at their six Super Bowl rings. Because I'm dealing with knuckleheads that think, you know, what, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, who's more important, Belichick or Brady? Well, I don't know. I think Belichick's much more important because he drafted Brady. If Belichick didn't agree to get Brady or let him stay on the team when he was the fourth-string quarterback and say, no, he's good, he's kind of kissing my ass too much, he's not very good, I got Bledsoe and all this, get rid of him on cut-down, real cut-downs in camp. No, Belichick gave Brady oxygen and gave him life. So Brady, to me, is the most unique and greatest player probably of all time. But Belichick was the guy who gave Brady a chance. I don't think Belichick was in one meeting, one meeting of McDaniels and Brady over the six Super Bowls. Belichick wasn't busting in the door going, hey, man, I want to call a play. It was all Josh McDaniels and Brady. How'd that work out? Pretty good. You know, that playbook was much more executed under duress with Josh McDaniels. Remember Brady had that. He always has the plays on his arm. He's always looking at the plays. Who do you think made those plays? Oh, that'd be Josh McDaniels. So if you don't like Josh McDaniels or you want him to succeed, I hope you'd want him to succeed, you're a Raider fan, then you would want Josh McDaniels comfortable with the GOAT and the GOAT comfortable with him. But I don't know if they're going to be able to pull the deal off. I mean, they got to come up with money. they got to figure that out. But they don't need to give up a draft pick to get him. And it would obviously be a short-term deal. Aaron Rodgers, as we move to that topic, becomes more expensive because he ain't taking no pay cut, dude. That guy, that guy, he's not taking a penny less than $50 million. Penny less. And then if he does that, you got to give up something to Green Bay. And Green Bay wants something back because Green Bay is kind of upset Devontae left to go play with Carr. And then that leads us to Lamar Jackson. And to me, he'd be the best fit out of all of them because of his age, his mobility, and his ability to run. But he's kind of been a little bit off lately. He didn't travel with the team kind of dealing with his own mom as the agent. I don't know how that thing's going to work. I don't know. I don't know what you got to do to make that thing happen along with the franchise tag and all that. 
So that's where we stand as we open it up on Raiders content. We have, in my opinion, the busiest offseason, the most important offseason that we can remember because the quarterback position is available. Remember, I hosted this show when Donald Hollis was the quarterback. I hosted this show when Jamarcus Russell was the quarterback. Okay, I've been to hell and back trying to figure out who the quarterback should be. And then a nine-year run of Derek Carr, which was really, I thought, enjoyable, other than the fact that the Raiders didn't win a playoff game. The Carr years, to me, were very important in the history of the Raiders. He shattered all the personal records of the Raiders' quarterback position. I thought he was very good to the franchise. The franchise paid him a lot of money, but that chapter's closed. That chapter's closed. And then I love the ability to get a young quarterback who's mobile and athletic, and the Raiders have the seventh pick. So for me, that can keep me busy every day. Every day, I promise you, I will give you a segment or two on the quarterback position. Who's available in free agency? Who's not available? Who you like and who you don't like? And I'd like to hear from you on that every show that I'm on the radio until this decision is made. 702-365-9200. It is difficult for me to sit in this chair when I have knuckleheads telling me Tom Brady can't play and his numbers destroy anybody who's been in this building in Alameda or here. That's tough on me. That's tough on me to have to deal with that. But I can do it. I'm skilled at this, and if you want to come in here and tell me that Tom Brady sucks and Tom Brady's done after what he just did this year on a team that was floundering and had a whole bunch of injuries and all that, I can handle it, but my temper is right there on that topic. Brady, Lawrence Taylor, Deion Sanders, Ray Lewis, Deacon Jones, Reggie White, all the players I'm mentioning, oh, Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, Peyton Manning are untouchable on radio. If you don't think they can do certain things, you're nuts. I'm not going to fall into that swamp. That's the swamp. When people start playing tricks on their brain, well, he can't play anymore. Oh, he's done. Then you give them the numbers and they don't believe it. So that's frustrating to me. But you're the fans of the Raider Nation and your opinion means a lot to me. And how did it change over the weekend? Well, let me tell you, I watched every play of every game with my dad, my brother-in-law. And I watched all these games, and there's a couple that I want to really draw on early here and get it out of the way. I want to start with the 49ers. I am in absolute shock that the 49ers are winning week after week with Brock Purdy. Now the shock factor is wearing off a bit, but finally I have one thing in front of me with the Niners that I wanted to see. I want to see them have to go through the toughest game of their lives to go win in Philadelphia. Because if Philadelphia lost, God forbid the Giants won or something, they had to play the Giants to go to the Super Bowl, they'd be going to the Super Bowl. At least they got to go through Philadelphia. And if they're able to beat Philadelphia after what I saw Philadelphia do to the Giants, then we're going to have trouble here in the Raider Nation for a long time. Because if Brock Purdy can go through this gauntlet and get to the Super Bowl and maybe win, the Niners are going to be good for a long period of time. So I am like most with inside the Raider Nation – I need the Niners to get obliterated this week. I need them off the table. I don't need two weeks of talking Niners on this flagship of the Raiders. And we'd have to do it. We're not going to avoid the Super Bowl because you don't like the Niners. We're going to have to do that. And that's cause for concern for me. George Kittle had an unbelievable touchdown. Kittle, I don't think he's as talented as Waller. But he makes big plays and he plays in bigger games than Darren Waller. And Kittle showed up in crunch time. Purdy. A lot of room now. Odin up over the middle. Oh, what a catch by Kittle. 
Are you kidding? George Kittle. Well, I'll tell you what, EA. That might be a play to get him a little life and a little confidence. You're going to see Kittle. He's not even really part of the route. This is just scramble drill. Yeah, they did something pretty impressive. They did that. They got it to Kittle. Uh, Purdy didn't throw a touchdown nor an interception. Dak Prescott had two interceptions. That game falls squarely on Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott that makes over $40 million a year, more than Derek Carr, more than most quarterbacks in this league, failed. He threw a couple of really bad interceptions, and Brock Purdy didn't. And that's shocking to me. I thought Purdy the last two or three weeks was at least due for a pick sick, a, a strip sack, something happening, and the guy's been perfect. The guy's been amazing because that has everything to do with the coach giving him the playbook and having him prepared, right? Having your backup prepared or your third string prepared to come in in a big spot and get it done. So congratulations to Brock Purdy. How about that final play of the game? How weird was that when, remember Dallas the year before loses on the final play of the game to the Niners because Dak does a quarterback draw and can't get the next playoff, and they lose that way. And then they tried to do this play where Zeke Elliott was the center on the final play of the game. What was this? Final play, it looks like barring a penalty. Prescott over the middle of the turret. Gets smoked right away, and that'll do it. The 49ers back to the championship game. So that's Fox on the call then, too. So the Niners will have to go into Philadelphia and beat Philadelphia. Let's get to Philadelphia as they destroyed the Giants. That was as close to seeing Bishop Gorman in Vegas play a team on the other side of town that only dresses 30 varsity players. I mean, that was, to me, one of the biggest beatdowns I've ever seen. And I've been going to Giant games since I've been six years old. I've never seen anything like that. What they did to the Giants, I almost felt like they needed to stop the game and go running clock. Daniel Jones, everything that the Giants had going for them after their win against the Vikings, completely flushed down the toilet. As Philadelphia broke them apart, spanked them, and played their best game of the year. So that's the good news if you're a Philly fan, is that Philly going into the NFC Championship game at home played an unbelievable game. The problem is the Giants' level of talent is so insignificant compared to the 49ers that the Eagles are going to have their hands full. If you look back at the history of the NFL, a lot of times the greatest players on defense don't play against each other. They don't meet each other in the playoffs, like Reggie White versus Lawrence Taylor. Right, You go back to the history of the league, Deion Sanders you know, going up against maybe the best linebacker of that era. If it was Brian Urlacher before or whoever, you don't see the best play each other. If you take the Niners' defense and Philadelphia's offensive line, that's one of the best matchups I can recall in a long time. I mean, those two teams are so good. They're incredible. And another thing I wanted to tell the Raider Nation as we try to stay positive with the Raider offseason – a year ago, one season ago, Philly came to Allegiant Stadium, and the Raiders beat them. And I use this with my jo- uh, Josh McDaniels conversation to the pessimist, because there are many of them. And I said, you know, Philly was going to, they were considering firing, or they were talking so badly about Nick Sirianni and the Eagles at that point, when the Raiders put up 30 points un- un- unanswered on a team that might win the Super Bowl. How did they turn it around in a year? I know how they did. We've talked about it. They stuck with the plan. The plan was stick with the coach, stick with the game plan, get more players in, free agents, and then the following year, one year, they're a Super Bowl contender and might win the Super Bowl. That's if you stick to the plan and you don't blow up the plan. Philadelphia was on the verge 
a lot of those Philly fans didn't want Jalen Hurts, and they weren't happy with Nick Sirianni. But the plan worked out, and they deserve to be here. On the AFC side, I'm shocked that the Bills got beat. Not Cincinnati's very good, and Cincinnati might be the best team in football. But I picked Buffalo to win the Super Bowl this year and the year before. I, I had Buffalo at least in this window having one Super Bowl, maybe two. So I'm wrong on that. I thought Buffalo was great, not good. And with everything that was going on with DeMar Hamlin, all the physical and mental stress on that team, plus running into Joe Burrow, who's a great player. Do you know the Cincinnati Bengals had three backup offensive linemen playing yesterday? Three backups. That sound familiar, Raider Nation? How come their backups were so much better than these Raider offensive line backups? Or starters? Or starters? Well, the answer is simple. Dave Ziegler inherited those players. Other than Colt Miller, they're trying to rebuild the offensive line. And the Bengals are able to do it. I don't know why the Raiders can't do it. Well, they brought in Dylan Parham. He seems to have a future here. Thayer Mumford is a player. Thayer Mumford and Dylan Parham are just like the players who played for the Bengals yesterday. Backups. Backup players. Starters got hurt. They went in and dominated the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. How does that happen? Well, they drafted well. They got offensive linemen who could play at a starter's level, unlike Alex Leatherwood. Unlike, you know, some of the players that we've seen here over the years that are barely starters, and when they become backups and come in and have to start, they can't get the job done. Well, Cincinnati was a great example of what the Raiders need to be as they upgrade the offensive line. So Cincinnati was fantastic. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and their ability to have this unbelievable connection. I mean, they put the game away on the first drive of the game. T. Higgins out wide to the left. Shotgun snap. Short drop by Burrow. The pressure comes from the left. He throws oh, it the middle. Baby. Caught at the Get nine. Chase straight ahead nice. into the end zone. Nice. Touchdown on the opening drive for Cincinnati. A 28-yard throw. That was incredible the way that came out of the gate. Bengals radio on the call. So they end up winning that game easily. Who had that easily? I don't know any gamblers who thought Cincinnati was going to beat Buffalo easily and were able to do that. And then Jacksonville, Kansas City, the lore of Patrick Mahomes, he reminds me of, of very much of Steph Curry. Steph Curry is now at a level now where if Curry does anything, comes off the bench, twists his ankle, and hits a three, the lore of Steph Curry goes through the roof. That's where we're at with Mahomes. Mahomes has a high ankle sprain. He should not be anywhere near 100% in the AFC Championship game and or the Super Bowl if he makes it. So he might be at 70%, 60% the rest of the way. They'll tape it up, shoot it up. They'll have him ready to go. But he should not be effective outside the pocket. And that should give Cincinnati a, more than a puncher's chance to win that game. So those are the four games that we're talking about. I'd like your opinion, and I'd love you to come along with me and do what I've done my whole career. Do a sports talk show that isn't all Raiders, right? Bengals, Chiefs, we'd like to hear from you on that game. Those are the AFC teams that the Raiders are competing against. Do you have an opinion on those games and those matchups? I'd like to know. 702-365-9200. And again, we're all set with the Raider quarterback position. Every call, every call means a lot to me on the quarterback. And you just saw over the weekend that the Raiders, especially in the AFC West, with Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, and Patrick Mahomes need an elite quarterback. The greatest quarterback of all time is available. So there shouldn't be much argument there. If you have an argument on that, kind of frame your phone call and tell me why you don't think that works. All right, let's begin and start us off with Derek in New Jersey. Derek, thanks for waiting. Start us off. How are you? 
Thank you, sir. I will talk about the Brady situation because uh, Ziegler and um, our coach said they want to build it right and they want to build it long term. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would love Brady, but he's not the long term. So frame the argument where Brady and the person behind Brady, which is whom, would be the long term answer. Easy, yep. easy, easy. Brady's the starter. Jared Stidham's the backup. Stidham already backed up Brady. He's fine. Or it's Jimmy Garoppolo and Stidham the backup, and they draft a quarterback. That's a that's an uh, that's like the easiest question anybody asked me. You think Tom Brady's going to stop them drafting a quarterback? They got the seventh pick overall. They can trade out of that seventh pick and trade back to twelve and get a quarterback, or they can take the seventh pick and trade up and get the quarterback and still have Tom Brady. Brady's not going to get in the way of anybody. You know who Brady gets in the way of? Everybody else in the AFC is trying to get to the Super Bowl. You remember that? Remember all the teams that wanted to win the Super Bowl and they couldn't because Tom Brady was playing in the bleeping Super Bowl every year? It's either Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, or Tom Brady, mostly Tom Brady. He ruined the dreams of everyone else. So if Tom Brady ends up a Raider, what do you think his completion percentage, which was the greatest of his career, is going to fall off a cliff? What do you think, he's going to forget how to play? What do you think, he's going to blow out his knee playing golf at win? And not be able to play? I mean, what did you see that I didn't see in regards to Brady this year? You know, he wasn't running. He wasn't asked to run. His completion percentage was at an all-time high. He threw for 4,500 yards on a team that had three offensive linemen out all year long. So, for Brady, I don't think there'd be a drop-off. No, I do, do I think Brady will be better than he was at 33? No. But can Brady take the system and get the ball out to Renfro, Waller, and Devontae? Yeah, he could do that very easily. And he could have the culture in that building, which could be the culture that they were looking for. And the culture that they're looking for is the upper, 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 upper elite. Tom Brady is the upper, upper, upper elite, and he's even higher up than that. Aaron Rodgers, I think, is a better player at this age, and I think Lamar Jackson's better than Brady. And uh, Aaron Rodgers, in the short term or long term, because of his skill set running the football, but I think that's going to be a reach there. But there, it's all open for us to talk about. 702-365-9200. Uh, Brent, ben Brown will join us coming up from Pro Football Focus as we take a look at the analytics and the gambling side of these conference championship games. T.J. Reeves at the top of the hour, the Buccaneer sideline reporter. Nobody knows the Brady situation better than T.J., fact that's going to be a really important interview and our good friend mark anderson who covers the raiders and everybody else in town he'll join us at 1 30 good to be back in vegas thrilled to be here on the flagship of the silver and black welcome back to the jt the brick show brought to you by resorts world las vegas the newest property on the strip jt back with you good to be back here on a gorgeous well cold monday again i was just in naples florida with my parents it was 80 degrees warm Nice travel back here yesterday and ready to roll. little chilly, a little cold out there for the golfers and everybody out there working late at night or in the morning, but we will get through the horror of this. We only have a couple of cold months out of the year, no doubt about that, and we're in that right now. Hope everybody had a good weekend. The games were very interesting. Uh, there was, I was almost shocked. I didn't think the Giants would beat Philadelphia, but I thought they'd put up a fight. They did not. And Buffalo, Buffalo got obliterated. And surprised by that at home. I think there's a lot more to that Buffalo story. I do. I think that the distractions and what happened uh, were big. You know, they had a player almost die during a football game, and all they did was talk about that, rightfully so, and pray. And the fans talked about it nonstop. Everybody 
was making sure that DeMar Hamlin was okay. He was at the game. I don't know the wear and tear. I don't know what that's like to play sports and have that hanging over your head. They clearly were distracted. They didn't play well. I had a buddy who went to the game, too, and he was dead serious. He didn't think they had the right cleats on. He said that Cincinnati, he was at the game. He said Cincinnati never slipped. Their footing was unbelievable. And Buffalo's footing, they were sliding all over the place, slipping and sliding, and they didn't seem to have the right cleats on. They just got blown out. They weren't ready to play, and I'm surprised by that. Because the window now for the Buffalo Bills is a conversation we have to have about that window closing. Because they should have won at least one Super Bowl. Remember Denver got Peyton Manning and they went to two Super Bowls and won one. The Legion of Boom with Russell Wilson went to two Super Bowls, won one, lost one. That's what I thought was going to happen with Buffalo in this two, three, four-year window. That they would go to two or three Super Bowls and win one, get the gorilla off their back, and at least have a world championship. Now I'm sitting here and I'm wondering what's going to happen with this team because they're going to start losing players, and they were built to win. And they are built to win and get it done, and they're not able to do that. So I'm a little bit concerned on that. Also, one other point on Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's got to find a way if he gets to the Super Bowl to win it, or that thing's going to start to look like Jim Kelly. And Jim Kelly's a Hall of Famer, and I think we all know that Joe Burrow's on pace to eventually be a Hall of Famer. But when I look at this situation, if he ends up getting back there again in back-to-back years, Joe Burrow can't go 0-2 in the Super Bowl. And I I have a feeling, and we'll take a look at the moving lines this week, that that's going to be a big-time topic, is can Joe Burrow get back to the Super Bowl through Kansas City? And Raider Nation, this is a good topic for you. If Cincinnati goes through Kansas City two years in a row in Kansas City, Now we're not talking about Kansas City being the best team in the AFC, nor Buffalo. We're going to be talking about the Cincinnati Bengals being the team to beat. And I think that's an important topic that's brewing. Benjamin Brown joins us. Ben comes in, as he always does, from Pro Football Focus. Ben, I want to begin with the Buffalo Bills. I was shocked by their performance, their lack of running game, their inability to protect home field. Were you surprised that Cincinnati won so easily? Yeah, I mean, I do think you have to start with the Cincinnati Bengals defense. They've kind of performed, I would say, you know, better than expected, especially given some, you know, injury concerns in their secondary. But Luana Morello has those guys playing really well. I think there's, you know, nobody in football, I would say, that kind of has some of these in-game type adjustments to kind of completely befuddle the, the opposing team offenses. So they've had young guys step up and like Cam Taylor Britt as well. And I, I think that that's, you know, uh, a situation that we very much should probably project to continue. So uh, although it was, you know, maybe not as expected to see the Bills perform so poor offensively, uh, I think you absolutely have to give credit to the Cincinnati Bengals defense because they seem, you know, very underrated at this point in time and are very much, I would say, you know, carrying the weight uh, of kind of a championship-level team on that defensive side of the football. So hats off to them. You know, it's unfortunate because the Bills, you know, are very much going to have some, you know, uh, you know, rude awakenings this offseason as far as what positions they need to prioritize mm-hmm. to potentially get back into that AFC, you know, upper tier echelon, I would say. Yeah, and I think they'll stay there with Josh Allen. Everybody's a big fan of him because he can run on top of throwing it. Ben, the big problem I have with Josh Allen is on third and short, third and six, he's throwing bombs. I mean, that's not going to work. I mean, every once in a while you hit on a bomb when you're up 32 to 12 and you're able to do that. But in a playoff game, an elimination game, where on, on third and short, He's got to either bootleg and run and dive for the first down or throw an easy route. And I'll get to Dak Prescott in a minute. 
What do you think about the Bills' philosophy on offense going for home runs all the time? Yeah, it, it is It is a pretty big and drastic change, and I do think that's maybe the reason why we did see Josh Allen take so, such a step back this year, right? Obviously, the loss of Brian DeBull was going to impact mm-hmm. their offense, and it seemed like early on, you, you know, they really didn't miss the beat, but a lot of that, I think, was kind of just pushing the same buttons that Brian DeBull, you know, kind of found mm-hmm. success in the 2021 and 2020 and in the years prior with Josh Allen, but when they kind of, you know, showcase that for defenses early out of the season, there was really no counter punch or counter opportunity. So then it was just Josh Allen kind of trying to make these hero type plays, especially in the third and, you know, manageable situations where I definitely agree with you that he should have probably been rolling out and, and, and taking kind of what the defense gave him. And if all the guys were covered, he probably pretty easily could have picked it up with his legs. So mm-hmm. I think overall it was probably maybe a, you know, a little bit of a, you know, a play calling gap more than anything else, but to consistently kind of go down that route of throwing the football deep on those third and manual situations, you know, are very much going to stall out a lot of offenses. So I, I definitely don't agree with that offensive philosophy. I think that might be, you know, a, a key point to kind of rein back in Josh Allen and, and just have him make the easy throws in those situations and kind of keep the drive and, and chains moving and extended and then get it and then try and hit some of those, you know, deeper shots, you know, on second downs and those sorts of things. Benjamin Brown joins us at PFF underscore Ben Brown. The thing on the Bengals having three backup offensive linemen who not only played well, they dominated in that game. They controlled the line of scrimmage. When you go back to pro football focus and evaluate those backups, I think fans all over the country want to know how their team can do that. How can a team around the NFL that's a non-playoff team get backup offensive linemen like that that can step into a role and maybe go to the Super Bowl? I think that's a huge story. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, obviously projecting out like Jackson Carmen playing really well, uh, you know, at the left tackle position, you know, in some ways people want to say the, the, the snow and that wind elements and all those, these things kind of benefited the offense. And, and maybe they did, but this was supposed to be a severe mismatch for the Buffalo Bills who just kind of did not bring it whatsoever from a front forward perspective. And I think part of that was, you know, putting so many eggs in one basket with Von Miller, who was 33 years old and could very much bring it when he was healthy, but they didn't really have a backup plan outside of Von Miller. And then when he went down, they, they, they just had no semblance of pass rush or any sort of ability and run defense as well. So I, I'm not sure it can be, you know, maybe captured and bottled up and extended out to some of these lesser teams because I do think a lot of the pass protection specific things are very much a reflection of Joe Burrow and and his wide receiver unit that can very much, I would say, win and win quickly and, and very much be on the same page. And then even when, you know, the, the, the pressure and those sorts of things can kind of get there, like Burrow very much trusts Jamar Chase in enough situations to kind of just allow him to maybe win a one-on-one route and, and kind of make that play for him uh, before the pressure actually hits there, not needing to kind of, I would say, wait for that route to develop. So I do think a lot of it was, you know, the offense line played well, but, you know, having Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase also allows them to kind of circumvent some of these, you know, pass blocking issues and situations that are going to arise with having so many backup guys, you know, in, in the fold and crucial in crucial down and distances. Ben Brown's our guest, Pro Football Focus. I want to go to Jacksonville. Their season's over, but... In the offseason, there was a lot of criticism about them getting Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, going out and just trying to get these mix and match wide receivers and overpay for them to add to what they were doing in the draft with Trevor Lawrence, uh, Travis Etienne, and especially on the defensive side here, it worked. So what did you think when you look at it from an analytical perspective? What did Jacksonville do right to get deep into the playoffs one game away from the championship round? 
Yeah, definitely. I, I do think Doug Peterson pushed a lot of the right buttons, and obviously Trevor Lawrence kind of taking that year two leap definitely, you know, solidified them as going to be contenders, I would say, in the AFC coming forth. But they, they very much need Lawrence to be the guy. And kind of like you said, even with a little bit of maybe a, you know, journeyman-type approach at the wide receiver position, they very, they very much got there because they got guys that I, I would say can potentially win and win quickly and win underneath and, and kind of gain separation and allow Trevor Lawrence to kind of make some of those easy throws. They don't really have you know, I, I would say a really strong downfield threat or a guy that can kind of just run straight. So they have guys that can kind of move and get open in space. And I think that actually played to, you know, Trevor Lawrence's strengths. And then they have Travis Etienne kind of coming out of the backfield, providing a lot of the same things. So they have guys that can definitely make plays after the catch. And I think that, you know, next year, kind of looking at their approach and everything else, like they, they, they did, for all intents and purposes, probably go out and get a number one wide receiver that, you know, not a lot of other teams wanted to take the risk on. But I do think Kelvin Ridley can kind of be that guy that emerges as the number one option. And then you have a guy like Zay Jones and Christian Kirk that are more running as like the two or second or third option in this offense. And I think that's going to make them really dangerous. And then if Trevor Lawrence does make that, you know, the next leap again in his third season, like they are very much, I would say, kind of nipping at the heels of the top teams in the AFC and speed, you know, I would say once again, a really tough outcome playoff time next year. So I definitely think they're trending in the right direction. I, I think a lot of that credit has to go to Doug Peterson, but mm-hmm. I do think they have, you know, a, a pretty good long-term vision for where they're trying to go. And I think they probably accomplished that, you know, ahead of schedule this season. In a lot of Wrapping it up with Ben Brown, pro football focus. So what do the Niners need to do to beat the Eagles? Because, Purdy didn't throw a touchdown against Dak, and they won that game convincingly. I didn't think the, I didn't think the Cowboys were going to win that game with Dak throwing interceptions. I, I guess I'll answer the question first. I think they got to cause Jalen Hurts to do what Dak did. Jalen Hurts has got to throw two interceptions in that game. If Brock Purdy's not going to throw three touchdowns, I just don't see the Niners being able to win that game in Philadelphia unless Purdy throws a couple of touchdowns. How do you see it? Yeah. Yeah, I very much agree. I think Purdy is going to have to be magnificent, and I would say in a lot of ways he hasn't necessarily been there, especially the past couple weeks of the season. Fortunately, you know, the Dallas Cowboys weren't able to take advantage, but I I can go back and look, and I do think there were probably two balls that he threw yesterday that that, that could have been intercepted, and if they do, I do think they dramatically changed the outlook for that game, you know, for the Dallas Cowboys, even with Dak Prescott having one of his worst games that he's had from, you know, a throwing standpoint and taking care of the football, so I think it's going to take a, a pretty masterclass, but I also think the Eagles defensively match up really well with San Francisco, probably even better than, you know, in a lot of ways what the Dallas Cowboys were able to match up against last week. So I do think they have, you know, solid corners on the outside that can take away the wide receivers. And, and then it's just a question of how do they kind of handle George Kittle and, and Christian McCaffrey. But uh, I, I like the matchup more for Eagles than I even did for the Dallas Cowboys. So I'm not optimistic about Brock Purdy, you know, having a really sound game, but I do think that's what it's going to have to take, you know, in order for them to keep pace with an Eagles offense that looks, you know, for all intents and purposes, I would say close to unstoppable at this point. So without a Nick Bosa, you know, three sack performance and, you know, a strip fumble mm-hmm. sack or something like that, or Jalen Hurts, maybe not, maybe turning the ball over through the air. Like uh, I don't see a ton of other paths to the 49ers potentially keeping this game close on mm-hmm. Sunday. So I think it's Eagles or bust from my perspective. Last one, Ben, the high ankle sprains. We've seen it our whole lives as fans and members of the media. When you get that, it gets worse before it gets better. You get a high ankle sprain, they tape you up, they shoot you up. You're able to play on adrenaline. And then that Monday, Tuesday, you can barely get out of bed and put any pressure on it. So how do we? How do you look at it from a gaming perspective and evaluating this line 
with Patrick Mahomes' injury going up against Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, it very much matters. And kind of like you said, if you if you keep that shoe on, you keep it tight, like there's a few-hour window where it's not going to swell on you. But as soon as that's removed post-game, like he is going to be in a world of hurt for the next couple of days. And I think that delays them, you know, being able to kind of, uh, you know, put in place the offensive scheme that they want to have coming up here. And I think that, you know, with the Bengals defense kind of trending in the right direction in a lot of ways, especially from a secondary perspective, like this is going to be a really difficult game for Patrick Mahomes if he's not able to kind of do some of his magic that he would do outside of the pocket in some of those pressure-type situations to kind of alleviate the pass rush. So without that in the fold, like I, I very much think we should probably see the spread swing even further in the Bengals' direction because, you know, 75% Patrick Mahomes, although still really good, I would say probably hinders, you know, the, 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 the plays and those sorts of things that actually make Patrick Mahomes who he actually is. So without that kind of outside-the-pocket navigation a little bit with the run threat as well, like – the, the Chiefs, I would say, could come back to earth offensively pretty quickly, especially because Travis Kelsey is kind of the only piece in place, I would say, right now that is consistently winning some of these one-on-one matchups. So, you know, guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, guys like Marcus Valdez-Scantling have essentially turned into afterthoughts. And without them winning one-on-one matchups, this could be a really difficult game, I would say, for the Chiefs offensively. So I, I'm concerned. Definitely, I think if you want to buy into it, buy into the Bengals early. Maybe the under of this game could be sloppy, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I just don't see any way that you can buy into the Chiefs before we get either some more information or you see how maybe Patrick Holmes is moving either in pregame or early on in this one before you kind of lock in anything on the Chiefs' side, I would say. Thank you, Benjamin. We'll talk next time heading over to the Super Bowl, and I'm sure you're going to be out there. You're going to Radio Row. You'll be doing hits live from there. What are you doing? Yep, we got we got a crew going out there, so we're gonna have a lot of representative from PFF, and it's gonna be a good time in Glendale, Arizona. So we'll have to we'll have to meet up for something. But I hope you enjoy the rest of your show. Thanks for having me on. You got it, Benjamin Brown, Pro Football Focus. Appreciate him coming on. He has good he has good information, really good information, especially from an analytic perspective and a gaming perspective. There, he just mentioned the under in Kansas City, and would that be a smart play? We'll take a look at the lines uh, throughout the week. Jeff Sherman's gonna join us. Lee Sterling, our gambling guys. Here at the end of the week. 702-365-9200. We're brought to you by the DeCastaverde Law Group. Oh, man. Alex DeCastaverde, my guy. 702-222-9999. If you get into an accident, you need family. A family-run law group that will treat you like family. Orlando and Alex DeCastaverde, proud partners of Raider Nation Radio. I've been to their law group. I've seen their staff. They're the ones for us. The JT The Brick Show is brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence. JT, back with you as we're brought to you by Modelo, the official cerveza of the Raiders and the official beer of fans with a fighting spirit. Modelo, ruling the heart of Raider Nation, one of our proud partners as we're on the road to the Super Bowl. Thanks to Harry Ruiz, who's jumped in for me the last couple of days and good to be back. Here in Vegas, there's a lot happening. The Pro Bowl is coming up at the stadium. My opinion on the Pro Bowl is going to the Pro Bowl the year before and after the first or second play going, oh, my God, they're not playing football. I'm all for bowling and you know longest drive and whatever you want to do. I'm not going to die on that hill. However you want to play the Pro Bowl, go ahead and do it. They used to actually play the Pro Bowl and tackle, and it was fine. And they used to actually do certain things in different eras that were fine. And now we have to coddle every athlete. NBA players can't play back-to-back games. The only athletes that play and never complain about anything are hockey players. Everybody else, you can't play the Pro Bowl. You might blow out your knee. You can't play 
college football in the bowl game, you might get hurt. I mean, everybody's just scared of injuries, and everybody's on board anymore. So you just don't do it. Back in the day, the NFL, the NFL, AFL, all-star game. Okay, that wasn't 200 years ago. That was in our lifetime for a lot of people. You know, the NFL All-Stars would play the college All-Stars. They'd train for a month for that game, a month. They'd have practice for that game. It actually mattered. You know, All-Star games used to matter. Now we're becoming a softer and softer sports society by the day. Athletes get paid so much money that they can't be expected to play even injured. Used to be if you were injured, you'd still play. You just wouldn't be 100%. Now athletes get shut down. They're injured. They're tweaked. They are so valuable to the franchise with their salary that they're just not going to play. So we decided in the year 2023 to cancel the Pro Bowl and to have a bunch of gimmicks and a bunch of contests and all that. And if the kids like it, do what the kids want. If the kids like that and they get their autographs and they're able to see their favorite players. But you know who the last great trivia question for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life, and make sure he gets this and he hears it from me. The last guy ever to play all out in a Pro Bowl Max Crosby, defensive MVP of the game, was the last football player in the world to play all out in the Pro Bowl. That'll never happen again. Generations from now, years from now, no one will ever know what it meant to play all out in the Pro Bowl. Max Crosby was the last guy to do it. I mentioned early in the show that the Golden Knights now losing to the Coyotes is completely unacceptable. What's happening with our local hockey team here is that there are too many nights where they don't show up. That is worrisome to me. I don't mind if they lose. You know, they win a game, they lose a game. But the games where they fall behind early and then they just can't figure out how to turn it up a notch and win the game, that's a big concern with me. A huge concern overall, and they got to fix that. Mark Stone needs to come back and get to 100%. There's a lot of other guys that are banged up. But in general, in general, this team is very erratic with all the great players that they have and the stars that I think they have on this team, which is a big deal. Uh, coming up next hour, we'll lead off with T.J. Reeves. He's the Buccaneer sideline reporter, a guy who has access to Tom Brady. He will be the perfect guest to tell Raider Nation exactly what Brady has left in the tank. And if you don't think Brady has nothing left in the tank, please don't call me. If you think Brady's not as good as he used to be, please call me. But we can't sit here and throw dirt on Tom Brady if he's interested in Las Vegas. What is the level of interest of Tom Brady to Vegas? That's really the question that only a few can answer. Mark Davis, Dana White, Josh McDaniels. Can't talk to Giselle. Anybody got Giselle's number? I don't. Right? So you don't know how interested he is. And I think what's going to come down to Brady coming here or not is the fact, because I, I think that Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, their track record with them speaks for themselves. So what about Brady being a dad if his kids are in Miami and he doesn't get a chance to see his kids during football season other than when he flies them in or obviously when he has a bye week? That's tough when you're a dad at 45, 46 years old. You want to go to bed every night seeing your kids. You want to wake up in the morning taking your kids to school. You want to do that, and I think that's a big part of this equation. For Aaron Rodgers, I think he wants to string this out as long as he can because he loves the media attention. And then what are the level of interest for the Raiders when it comes to the draft? We have a lot of draft coverage in March and April as we build up to the draft, and most of that talk is going to be about a quarterback position or how the Raiders can rebuild the interior of their offense and defensive line. So when we come back, we'll get to T.J. Reeves, find out what they're saying in Tampa about Brady. Lakers make a trade today, a small one, but it could have an impact on them. 
And the future of a couple of head coaches now that Sean Payton is available and wants to go back. He has a second interview with the Broncos. Oh, no. We don't want Sean Payton as the head coach of the Broncos. I'll tell you why next hour. JT, good to be back on the flagship.